0: To the dignity of women where we dig deep into the vocation and dignity of women in the church in modern times and as an answer to the call for a new evangelization i'm your host kimberly cook joining me today is sonia corbett sonia is a vital catholic voice a best-selling author speaker and broadcaster who produces high impact uplifting multimedia bible studies A Carolina native who was raised as a Southern Baptist, Corbett converted to Catholicism and served as Director of Religious Education at St. John Vianney Catholic Church in Gallatin, Tennessee, and as Executive Director of Risen Radio in Lebanon, Tennessee. She is the riveting weekly host of the Bible Study Evangelista show on Catholic TV and radio. Corbett is in formation as a third-order Carmelite, a columnist at the Great Adventure Bible Study blog, a regular contributor to Magnificat, and a best-selling author who also wrote for the Gallatin News Examiner and Orimus, the Westminster Cathedral magazine. She lives in Tennessee with her husband, Bob, with whom she homeschools two sons. Thank you so much for being with us today, Sonia.
1: Oh, I'm thrilled. Thank you for having me.
0: So, Sonia, you've written several Bible studies that are deeply rooted in Scripture, enlightened with the Catholic faith, and strongly supported by your own personal testimonies and stories of overcoming vice, sin, and brokenness. How did a Southern Baptist who attended the Southern Baptist Seminary find her way to Rome?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was a crooked journey, that's for sure. I am, I... (sighs) My husband and I have always attended, we had always attended a a really small little country church out here. It had about 200 people in it. And we experienced two church splits at that church. And it was, the first one was not all that difficult, I think probably because we were pretty ignorant of what was actually happening. But a group of people rose up against the pastor and Now I can look back and I I see that it was really nothing but a personality conflict. Mm. Um, But they rose up against the pastor. They split the church. And in a denomination like that, you know, half the people leave and they go start their own church. So it decimated the congregation and lots of people left. We got a new pastor. Five years later, the very same thing happened with the new pastor. Only this pastor I knew very well. I looked up to him. I have what I call a father wound, but he he gave me his Sunday school class, and it was co-ed, and that was something, you know, 25 years ago that you just didn't do. Women don't teach men, Mm -hmm. right? So he affirmed my gifts, and he gave me that class, and I grew it. Of course, it was a really small church, but it ended up being the the biggest class, and it it kind of offended some of the other male teachers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I bet. And
1: um, I think, honestly, looking back on it, I probably had something to do with that that split that happened because oh of gosh. that, but he, uh, the very same people did the very same thing. They, they split the church. I, I loved him and his family. His, he had a couple of daughters and his wife and I just loved them. And I still, to this day, his wife still comes to my classes here, uh, wow. where I live, but yeah, but it destroyed their family, you know, in a denomination they make their living as a pastor. Right. And so he, he ended up leaving and it we got a new pastor blah 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 but for me it totally devastated me and my husband and we were in leadership we knew all that was going on we knew all of the gossip we knew who was responsible all that so anyway we left we left that church and we sort of hid in a mega church out by us and at that time because God had been dealing with me for my whole life really on this father wound I have a predominant fault of anger and rebellion Mm -hmm. and so God had been correcting me for that very thing over and over and over again and so here I am I'm I'm watching this splitting happening in our denomination and I also knew that it was rampant it's everywhere you know it's not just our church it's everywhere so basically what God did was he gave me a, a couple of pop quizzes you know here I am learning about submission to authority And now I'm experiencing what happens when you don't submit to authority properly Mm. in a church. (laughs) And so all of that, I call that a perfect storm. So all of that was sort of happening at the same time. And I was writing my own studies and reading about church history and that kind of thing. And so all of those things sort of converged on this one focal point, which was what happened at Martin Luther what what happened with him so I started reading his writings in his own words mm-hmm. and what I discovered is Martin Luther had a father wound and it mm-hmm. caused him to do exactly the same things that I had been doing exactly what I was seeing in this these church splits and so that was kind of the beginning of the end then I had to sort of decide if I was going to be able to tolerate what the church taught <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's amazing that you actually admitted that, though, because I think a lot of people do go through those church splits, even in leadership, and are teaching such biblical principles as submission and things like that. And you look from the outside in and you're thinking, how are they not seeing that? You know, they're teaching these very things, but yet their church is going through The very opposite of what they're teaching so it's funny that you were able to say you know the light came on and you were able to make the connection and say hold on a second here i'm saying these words i'm truly believing this scripturally but yet it's not lining up with what's happening in this church home that we have or how things are being run in the very church that we teach these principles from
1: Yeah. But but the thing is, most of the time in denominationalism, no one has any idea of the history of the church. Mm. So we wouldn't even, I wouldn't have even known that denominationalism came from Catholicism, split (laughs) off from Catholicism had I not known church history. And the only reason I knew that really partly is because we homeschool. Nobody ever taught us that. So they don't go back far enough because they don't know. In fact, I told my mother, I said, Mom, the whole church was Catholic until 1500. And she said, well, that's just your interpretation.
0: Yes, yes. And And I I think the funniest thing is the sola scriptura argument because the Catholic church, when you look back, is the one that decided what is inspired And what is part of the canon of scripture? So when people say, well, we don't follow the Catholic Church or what their papal decisions, we just follow scripture. And it's like, yes, well, that is inspired. You know, we truly believe that is inspired by God. But who decided which ones were inspired to be in canon? So ultimately, you're submitting to the Catholic Church when you our and Sola Scriptura. <laughs> right, exactly. So, oh my gosh. But, it, but it's beautiful that the light did come on for you, that you made that connection. It's interesting that it was about the submission area because yes. recently I've been talking to a lot of converts and the one thing, and this blew me away, that got them more than anything else was the church's teaching on contraception and natural family planning. I would have never thought that that would bring so many people to the Catholic Church. I would have thought that a Protestant would be completely repelled from that teaching.
1: Well, you know, if you're really looking for truth, you know it when you get it. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the difference. If God had not been leading me on my own personal journey into submission and, and understanding what that really means, if I had not been on that path, I'm not sure that I could have come into the church at all. But it was so personal for me. And when I saw in Martin Luther, I saw myself. And in yes. fact, I, I call myself his little sister. Oh my so, so I saw myself there and I thought, oh, my word. You know what? Yeah. If it hadn't been so personal, I'm not sure I could have made it. But it was it, because it was, I recognized it immediately.
0: Wow. I knew
1: that that's what it was, that he was in rebellion. Right. And, and he had a good reason. Yes. You know but that's that's the thing that I have spent my whole life learning is what how do you dissent correctly? Yes. And and he he didn't.
0: Right. I think Thomas More is a great example. Yes. Yeah. Great yes. example. So I was in great need of your book Fearless, A Catholic Woman's Guide to Spiritual Warfare. I think for many of us fear is a grave obstacle. I know for myself there are times when I go through paralyzing anxiety and fear. Sometimes the overwhelming obstacle doesn't even have a name or a source, but I fear suffering, illness, death, frailty, and sin all at the same time. If fear is not of the Lord, then what is happening when believers can't even face their own death without severe anxiety and fear?
1: Well, the Bible says that fear is a lack of love, that it is an imperfect love. It actually says perfect love casts out all fear, and perfect in the Bible means complete and mature Mm -hmm. so it's a lack of love and trust. And so when we fear, we are being attacked. Mm. It is an attack of the enemy. And what I did in my book, Fearless, is I I went back to the very beginning. Often, I think it was St. Jerome who said, if you want to know what the Bible means by using a particular word, you should go back to the very first time it's used. And fear enters in the Garden of Eden after they sin. And as soon as they sin, they are afraid of God. And that's where you can really see that it is an attack. And so the enemy wants us to be afraid because he wants us separated from God. And fear often separates us from God. It did me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I was afraid of God because I was afraid of my dad. Mm -hmm. And so I just didn't, I thought he was out to punish me, you know, for everything because that's that was my experience with my own dad. So, yeah, so ultimately it's a it's a an imperfect love and an imperfect trust and it's it comes from outside. It comes from the enemy.
0: Right. And even death, I know you mentioned something as well that it is not natural for that separation of mm-hmm. the soul and the body. So there is kind of this struggle to approach that.
1: It is, yes, I, and you know I think about that a lot. I've I've noticed, not in a morbid way or anything, but I think about death a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think about, I, I know this sounds so strange, <laughs> but I do. I, I mean, I always wonder: is it like going to sleep? Right. You know, where you, where you're conscious one moment and the next you're not. You know. Right. What, you know, what exactly happens? I don't know. It don't seems
0: think. so unnatural because it is,
1: unnatural. It it is something is. we've
0: never experienced. It is something that we know is not natural to the way that God created us and is a result of sin. No one can tell us, right? No one can say, oh, theory. don't worry. It's just like this or that. Or And so I think with that lack of knowledge, maybe there's a little bit of entrance of fear as well in that. We believe, okay, we have this belief that there is an afterlife. We have this belief of what God promises. We have all of these convictions, but yet there's still, for whatever reason, this area for fear to creep in.
1: Well, and it is because, you know, we don't have any idea what it's going to be like. And so that's natural. That kind of fear is really natural. And I love what the saints say. If you have the opportunity to offer your life back to God the moment before you actually do die,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> you know, that's uh, what the saints talk about, how you're, you really, it's your final offering right. to God. You know, not everybody has that opportunity, but I like to think about it that way. I also, you know, I don't know, there was a time when I almost wished I could die just mm-hmm. so I could just be with him. But um, yeah, I got over that. <laughs> Not that I don't want to, but, you know, (laughs) I I have lots to do here.
0: (laughs) Right. And you wrote that surrounded and bombarded with data and information on every imaginable topic, it seems we have come to consider our depression, anxieties, and fears as issues of heredity, chemistry, biology, culture, psychology, geography, or modernity, but never as spirit. As I read that, I imagined myself grabbing my phone to Google the symptoms of an ailment, the latest ailment <laughs> that I thought maybe I had. Where is the distinction between spiritual warfare, mental health, and paranoia that the devil is lurking under every rock?
1: Uh, you know, I would say that's almost a spiritual maturity thing because I everyone goes through this process, you know, in the beginning of when you finally when you become aware of spiritual warfare you sort of gravitate to that pole of everything as a, an attack
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, and that's natural. And you just sort of have to, you have to make errors and learn, you know, but there is a sense in which because we are spiritual and physical beings together, there is a sense in which everything is spiritual. Mm-hmm. And so I think where we do ourselves a disservice is that we don't even consider that our issues really are rooted somehow in the spirit. And so we don't even consider it. And because we don't, we wallow in some of that fear and depression for far too long. Right. And if we know, it's all connected is what I'm trying to say. So it is mental health. It is spirit. It is physiological. It's all of those are true. It's not one or the other. It's all of them together. And so we really have to address our issues in every single way. So if we have an issue with depression, then we should we should ask ourselves, what are we angry about? We should you know, if we need help medically, then we need to get that help. If we need help with counseling or whatever, we, we have to kind of come at our problems in that holistic kind of way. I think that's why most of us struggle for so long, because we're not addressing all of those things at one time.
0: Right. And I think spiritual warfare is just something that we never think about. I think it's something that we kind of leave to the exorcists, or, you know, it is in this this scary realm. Like, I don't even want to broach that because, as you said, some people are afraid that even talking about it or thinking about it or mentioning it is going to open a door to some kind of evil. But the fact is, as you said so clearly in your book, that spiritual warfare is around us. It is something that we are going to encounter throughout our entire lives, and we need to face that in order to grow. We will never conquer those fears and anxieties if we cannot see things also in a spiritual realm, if we cannot also bring them to God first. If we can't also include the spiritual nature in everything that's happening to us, if we are just trying to heal things strictly from a body standpoint, then we're really going to fall prey more and more to
1: that. Well, and you brought up a good point. Whether we know it or not, we are engaged in spiritual warfare all the time. I mean, we can't see all of the spirits that that exist we can't see them because they they are pure spirit they don't have a body but they are there and we're constantly influenced i should say one way or the other and the other thing is if we're not aware that that is happening we're just going with the flow right. you know and we're we're easily influenced by bad influences and here's an example so all of us have woundedness all of us and that is the number 1 door through which the enemy attacks us. Hmm. He uses our wounds to make us do terrible things. You know, my predominant fault is rebellion and anger. So my woundedness caused me to be triggered by every little thing that someone in authority over me said. And I would just, I mean, I would do crazy things. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens to us. All of our worst behaviors are rooted in woundedness. And the enemy knows that and he exploits it. And that's why it's important that we know what's going on so that, you know, now I still get the triggers, right? But they don't bother me as much because I'm like, oh yeah, that's just my thing. That's my daddy thing. I don't have to be irrational. (laughs) Right. I don't have to get irrational about it. It's just that thing.
0: Right. And I think sometimes when we say the mention of spiritual warfare, people roll their eyes or say, oh, my gosh, you're being ridiculous or, you know, you're overreacting. It's just coincidence that these things are all happening. Like you said, in the beginning of Fearless, you kind of had this perfect storm that was happening with your family and then several deaths in the family at the same time and then being contacted by an old boyfriend. And it was like a lot of people would just say, oh, that's just coincidence. There's Mm. nothing spiritual there. You know, you're just blowing there are no
1: coincidences Mm -hmm. yes
0: yes and and you've spoken quite a bit on the healing of your father wound that you mentioned a few times and you share how life with a narcissist father influenced your early relationship with god and others Mm -hmm. you were stealing as early as preschool forging notes (laughs) changing grades and lying as a second nature even when you didn't need to lie anymore Mm-hmm. How did you overcome these seemingly insurmountable character flaws and psychological vices and what mm. hope can you offer others who still live with these wounds?
1: Well, I did not overcome them. I there is no way it's I'm sorry. There's no way I could have ever been healed of that kind of woundedness had God not really just clung to me. There were so many times when I said, Lord, I can't hold on to you. I need you to hold on to me. Mm. And, and he did. And so I think more than anything, I just, I was terrified that I was going to parent my kids the way I was parented. I could already see myself doing it. And I was so afraid of that. I did not want to do that to my kids. And so I just told him, I said, I don't care what you have to do to me. Whatever, (laughs) whatever terrible thing you have to do to me to make sure that I don't do this, I am willing. And, and he takes us at our word. If, if we are sincere, he takes us at our word and, and he did. And he, he guided me step by step. And I actually talk about it quite a bit in, in my first book, Unleashed, because I didn't realize how there are no coincidences until I started to see a pattern in my own relationships and circumstances. And what I began to notice is that he would send me those triggers in order to provoke in a way, not in a sin way, but to provoke my reaction, my usual, my typical reaction, which was rage, Mm -hmm. in order for me to be able to start looking at it, right? Why are you so angry? Why are you irrationally angry here? You know, this is a a really small thing, and yet you're really, really angry here. And so I would, you know, I would spend time with him looking at that, you know, why am I, (laughs) you know, once he brings it to your attention, you're like, oh, yeah, okay. If you're willing, and he was, he is so patient with us. And so he would bring me those opportunities, what I call now pop quizzes, you know, Mm -hmm. he would teach me something in the scriptures, and then he would send me an opportunity to practice what I'm learning. And, and it usually came through some person.
0: It's funny because I think a lot of times we will do things like that. We'll say, you know, I pray for humility. Please send me humility. And then something will come <laughs> along and we'll be like, what are you doing? Right. You know why? And yeah. my we just had a funny thing because, uh, not so funny, but um, we had – whole family of skunks living under our house and they kept on spraying and i mean it smelled like the skunk was in our living room it was, <laughs> How that I, I mean i i don't know they dug under and they were spraying its mating season or whatever and so i mean the first time it happened i was like there is a skunk downstairs you need to go find it it's it's in our house you know and it's spraying it's so bad like we almost had to leave the house and then finally, I think they caught like four skunks under our house or something. We got it. It was like a whole family and they put up this block and everything. And so I was like, okay, we got through that. And then, you know, praying to be able to handle small things. And the next thing you know, it happened again. And right, right now, they came in the <laughs> other side of the house that is not blocked. And we have a family of skunks living under our house again right now. Oh no. <laughs> and I was so... Angry, ah, uh, just so, so, so angry about this. And um, my husband said, "What have you been praying about lately?" You know, I mean, he said, and I'm, <laughs> yep. and he's like, "Do you not think that maybe God is giving you this as an opportunity to deal with the small things in a better Absolutely. way?" Yes. and you know, it was funny because I did not even that did not even occur to me, you know. And yes, of course, I'm always praying for things like this and to be able to deal with these things in better. Ways and small ways, but then when they come, a lot of times you just are completely blind to the test, like you said, you the are. pop quiz.
1: But here's the here's the cool thing: as soon as you realize it, you're willing to endure it, mm-hmm. and because you're like, oh, okay, I get it. And and that is another really big lesson that I learned. All of those things that happen to us that are painful or difficult, or you know, they give us negative emotion and all that. All of those things, they are opportunities and God, he will use them. And so when you realize that that's what he's doing, you're willing to suffer. And not only willing, but you're, I remember even saying to him, you know, I would, I would get through one thing and then I would go, all right, Lord, I'm ready. Now what? right <laughs> and so and then he would send me something else and it was just you know what are we doing next but to connect and, it, and you're willing to suffer it
0: that's what the great lesson in your books is to connect it see it keep your eyes open look around you know exactly. the skunks might not just be a coincidence with <laughs> you're praying right. for something and so now I'm enduring it you know with a clothespin on my nose but <laughs> um I think like you said with the father womb not wanting to pass that on and to, to parent your children in the same way I personally know people that have chosen not to have children because of that fear. So fear can be so powerful that it can make you feel incapable. And inadequate, like I'm not even going to have children because I'm so afraid that I'm just going to repeat history and it's going to go on and on. And this generational sin will just last forever and we will be a family of abusive alcoholics or we will be a family of narcissists or whatever.
1: Here's the hope that the Bible tells us very plainly, Moses asked God to see his glory. And God said, I can't show you my glory, Moses, because it would kill you. It's just it's that glorious. Hmm. But. I'll give you something. And so he hid him in the cleft of the rock, and his glory passed by, it says. And part of his glory was his name. And he utters his name in like 35 words. He passes by Moses in the cleft of the rock, and he says his name, and it it involves lots of single words. But part of what's in that name is that he will forgive that generational sin like 40 to 50 generations past. Mm. So yes, there is generational sin and we do perpetuate it unless there is one person, one person who decides that it ends with them. And that one person, the promise is in God's name. He promises that it will exponentially be better through that one person than the negativity of the generational sin. So it just takes one of us. And here's the thing. You know, if we don't do this here, we will do it in purgatory. Right. So it's important that we do it now while we have the benefit of the sacraments and the merits, the prayers of other people and all of that. We should do it now because if we do, it just takes the one person to stand up and say, this is not gonna go any further. It ends with me. Mm. And that's what I did. And I did it out of desperation because I didn't want to hurt my kids. Right. But I did it. And my husband did it with me. And we were willing to say, you know, I came from a divorced family. He he didn't, although they probably should have been divorced. <laughs> <laughs> but we both just said, it's gonna end. It ends with us, no matter what. Here's where it stops. And I was willing to do that. And God is faithful. He's so faithful. If we just trust Him and hang on to Him, and that promise, it's, it's a promise in the Scriptures that He will bless generations after any person who stands in the gap like that. Right. That generational sin, it is a promise that it will stop with us if we will get serious about it and recognize that it is spiritual warfare, number one, and number two, do what it takes with God on a daily basis to let him heal it in us. And it's hard. It's very hard. It's very hard to confront, for me, that father wound. It was very hard to finally get to the point where I had to say to myself, my dad did not love me. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's really abnormal. And right. and I felt guilty for it. You know, what is wrong with me right. that my dad can't love me? Well, it's it's not me. You know, we have that, that emotion, but that's not even reality. And I had to learn that. It wasn't my fault. Dad is just, he's wounded too. And that's a whole other thing, but I don't have to perpetuate it. And by the grace of God, I won't.
0: That is very hopeful. What does your daily prayer look like? I mean, now obviously you've moved past that. As you said, it still creeps up and always will in certain ways. But how do you root yourself in scripture and in the Lord's will every day so that you can see those things and so that you are protected from spiritual warfare? Do you pray special prayers? Do you just sit down with scripture each morning and each night? Do you do an examination of conscience? Yes.
1: <laughs> yes, all of that. Okay, okay so, so what I do now is what I have done from the time I was 20. Although it's a little bit different now. So every single day I start in the morning with a rosary just because it helps me focus. And that's been called the Bible on a string. So I do the rosary first and then I read the readings for the day. I use the Magnificat. You can get them online or whatever. But I read the readings for the day because they are God's word to his church every single day. Mm -hmm. This was like an epiphany for me when I came into the Catholic church. I was like, oh, my gosh. We didn't invent, Baptists didn't invent the daily quiet time. (laughs) So the Catholic Church has been teaching us to do this from the very beginning. They call it, the church calls it Lectio Divina, but I have a little acronym that I use. It's love. We love the word. L is listen. O is observe. V is verbalize. E is entrust. And so I read the readings of the day. I listen to what God is saying. I observe my relationships and circumstances because that's what Mary did. We're actually following her through the annunciation. She heard the word of God through the angel. She observed her relationships, her relationship with Elizabeth. She went directly to her. Then after she realized that Elizabeth knew what was happening and she was able to share, Mary then verbalized through the Magnificat. And then she entrusted, may it be done to me according to your word. So, Listen, observe, verbalize, and trust. We love the Word the way Mary loves the Word, and I do that every single day. I I start with the rosary. I read the readings for the day, and I'm looking at my relationships and my circumstances to see how that Word from God for that day applies to what's happening. Or maybe it, it will come up during the day. But I do that every single day because God is speaking to us every single day through the readings of the church. And most of us are not listening. God is talking all the time. He's talking all the time, every single day through those readings. But we're not listening. And that's why we don't know what to do. And that's why we do the wrong things because we're not listening to his voice. A lot of times the right thing to do is going to be so out of our realm of thinking that we would never even consider what God really wants and what God can really work through. And if we're not listening to him, we won't see that. We won't hear it. We won't know what to do. So that is my prayer. I end, I end all of my rosaries with a prayer to St. Michael. I end every mass with a prayer to St. Michael. So there's my spiritual warfare and also to St. Joseph, terror of demons. Right. <laughs> so my rosaries end with that. My masses end with that. My daily prayer ends with that. So those are my spiritual warfare prayers, but I always, every single day, every morning, first thing, I do a rosary and then my readings, and I do that love the word practice. Mm-hmm. I don't have to write it down as much anymore because I'm, I get it really quickly, and I can see it really quickly now, whereas before, I needed that tracking of writing it down, the verbalization part. Right. Right. But that's my practice, and I do it now. I still do it. You know, I did it 20 years ago, 25 years ago. I do it now every day because he constantly directs us through his word and the readings on a daily basis. So if you can't do the whole office, and most of us can't, I do them all at one time. I read the morning prayers, the mass prayers, and readings, and the evening prayers all at one time in the morning.
0: that's a good strategy. I know. I often feel like I want to do it with the church, but... Oftentimes, as the day goes, it doesn't happen.
1: It's away, right. And
0: then you try to cram them in at night, and they're not meaningful. You're so tired, you're not really absorbing it. So, that's a good idea. Let, you know, you can oh, just, do them all yeah, at once. On one time. <laughs> <laughs> and you talk about Mary. John Paul II noted that the cause of Satan's greatest anger was that God entrusted the human being to women. Yes. To a woman. And your recent book Exalted examines the woman, Mary's magnificat to the Lord, and how we in turn can delight in the transforming power of God in us. I love that, how we can move past fear and embrace what Mary embraced because certainly if we look back at her life and the message that Gabriel gave her in the time that she was living, there could certainly be a great amount of fear for how this was going to play out, getting stoned to death or you know, losing Joseph as her spouse and that great trust that Mary had and that great submission that God would work it out even though it seemed so scary at the time from where she was standing maybe, is a mind-blowing example, really. It, It seems almost so high and lofty that it's hard to think that we could ever live up to that.
1: Totally. Well, and in fact, that's how that book came to be because as a convert, I had a really hard time with her. I mean, I just, I didn't get it at all. I had a, my bishop actually said to me in confession, he said, the measure of your Catholicism is your relationship to Mary. Mm. And I just, I mean, I, I left there going, what an idiot, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it bugged me. I mean, I was offended, but it was one of those things, you know, that you hear and it sticks and it just nagged at me and nagged at me. And I thought, if that's true, is that really true? First of all, and secondly, if that's true. I finally just had to go to her and I said, this was my first actual conversation with Mary. <laughs> I said, I don't get you. I don't get the attention the church pays you. I don't get any of this. Mm-hmm. I think it's weird. <laughs> but if you're willing to teach me, then I'm willing to learn. And you know how how she does. You know, She just kind of gathered me up, hid me under her mantle. And, and I started that series on the Magnificat line by line as a radio show. And as I did, she revealed herself to me and she, oh, well, so you beautiful... learned that yes. live,
0: you were live on yes. the air when you were discovering Yes. Mary's role.
1: Absolutely. Wow. And what i found, that's how I got love the word. Listen, observe, verbalize, and trust. She showed me how a like Well, she was trying to, you know, make friends, (laughs) but she showed me how alike we were in our love for the the word. Nobody loves the word the way Mary does. The word is a person. Mm -hmm. And she began to show me that. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, and, and so bit by bit, what I found is that Mary didn't sing the Magnificat. Mary is the Magnificat. Right. Mary is the Magnificat and we are called. She was calling me. She's calling each of us, especially women, because God has given humanity to woman. And because of that, she is drawing each of us into being a Magnificat too. That's right. exactly what we're called to as women.
0: I also have observed a few main strategies that Satan's used. Obviously, he's always on the prowl against women specifically. He does have this hatred for women, which stems from Mary being entrusted with that great gift. But the one thing is that everything can be fixed on a purely human level. And we see that desire to heal ourselves in the huge industries currently of health, wellness, alternative medicine, and even secularized occultist methods. Mm -hmm. So I've seen that where there's this false confidence that we don't necessarily need to turn to the Lord. We can kind of take care of everything ourselves and live as long as we want to, you know, even maybe freeze our bodies in the future and come back or something like that. We just constantly try to eradicate God and our need to rely on him. And then another thing is how Satan speaks to us, especially, again, as women. St. Augustine taught that temptation follows a distinct pattern of sin. And we experience this when the devil speaks temptation to us in the first person. I think that's something that we never think about. We always think that the devil is going to be like, you should do this or why don't you do that? And... Often it is in the first person. Nobody cares about me. I deserve this. Yep. we think, well, that's not coming from the outside. That's not coming from a temptation. That's not coming from the devil because it's first person. I'm saying that I'm in control of this thought. But if it's something that is sinful, something that we do not want to do, like St. Paul said, then it's not, as he said, coming from us. It's coming from sin. Um, So how does spiritual warfare first take place in the mind as a battle over temptation? And it begins with a lie.
1: It always begins with a lie. And that's why it's important to know the scriptures. That's why it's important to be in them every single day. Because if you don't know the truth, you can't recognize the lie when it comes. It always begins with some sort of lie. He said to Eve, you're not going to die. And of course, she didn't physically die the moment she ate it, but she did spiritually die. Right. And so all temptation follows the same pattern. If we don't recognize the lie, then we succumb to it immediately. And that's where it all begins. Don't open the door. If you have an issue with something... Don't open the door. Our priests sometimes in confession call that the near occasion of sin. Mm -hmm. You have to keep the door closed. (laughs) And that starts in the head, in the mind. Your thoughts are what lead you down the road to succumbing to temptations, whatever they are. And if we know the truth, then we can use the truth of the scriptures against the lie that Satan brings. And it's a constant battle especially in the area of our predominant fault. But here's the thing. This is something I don't think Christians in general get, but definitely not Catholics because they don't know the the Bible well enough sometimes. But the Bible tells us unequivocally that we have the power through Christ to not sin, period. Mm. We do not have to sin. And if we do, it's because we capitulate to the enemy, There is power in Christ to completely stop those patterns of sin that we have. But we don't even know that. So we go in, say we have a problem with overeating. You know, we are tempted by the sight or the smell or the thought of food. We go straight to the refrigerator. We eat until we're about to blow up. Mm -hmm. And then we feel guilty. Right. But what we don't know is we don't have to do it. We have power in Christ to not do it. There's an acronym that I, I got out of uh, Psalm 44. It says, be angry but sin not. Meditate on your bed and be silent. Offer the right sacrifice and put your trust in God. So I made a little acronym called STOP. Sin not, tell God, offer the right sacrifice, put your trust in God. So we have the power in Christ to not sin. So we sin not. Then when we realize that we're about to or we're being tempted, then we tell God about it. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I want to do. Blah, blah, blah. Offer the right sacrifice, which, well, it's always to not sin. But then sometimes there are other things that we need to do. Maybe we need to divert our attention and go serve someone or, or whatever. What is the right sacrifice? Well, I don't know. God will, you know, when we tell him what we're dealing with, then he and I will work that out. And then once we have worked it out, we offer that sacrifice and we put our trust in God. Whatever he says to do, we do it and we let it go. So we don't have to sin. We stop. We're not going to sin. And once we're aware of the pattern, that's when we start to get victory. We fall immediately because we, first of all, don't realize it's spiritual warfare. Secondly, we don't think we have the power to not do it. And third, we feel so guilty about all the times we've fallen before. Right. So those? And it
0: definitely turns us inward. I know yes. it I mean it doesn't allow us to love God and others. We don't think about wanting to serve others or what else can I do or what else can I give or how can I make myself available to my neighbor if I'm feeling so badly about myself or just so concerned about my own sin. It really does turn us entirely in on ourselves and we do start to feel like, well, who am I to help anybody else? I exactly. mean, I'm just a huge sinner and I can't even stop doing x y or z. How in the world am I supposed to help anyone else grow spiritually if I'm such a mess?
1: Well, and there's truth to that. But as long as we're working on it step by step, I mean, God doesn't expect us to fly all the time. You know, sometimes we're just we're crawling. <laughs> we're we're like scratching for every little Movement forward, but if we're moving forward, then we're moving, right? And so we don't have to be discouraged by how slowly it happens because we're human and it does happen very slowly, but as long as it's happening, as long as we're moving forward, God can use us. We don't want to be hypocrites where we're not even addressing the issues because that makes us powerless in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can't use us the way he wants to if we're not sincere about our own holiness But if we are, even if we're crawling, we're still moving forward, and so he will use us. And in fact, the weaker we are, the more power can come through us as long as we acknowledge that weakness in his presence and we are working with him to move past it.
0: Right. I want to end on a very hopeful note. <laughs> 1 Corinthians ten thirteen states, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your strength, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And I think a it lot is. of times of Mother Teresa when she said, you know, God won't let us be tempted with more than we can handle. I just wish he didn't trust me so much. So... <laughs> How does the temptation that's afflicting, torturing, and producing so much anxiety and fear in us also provide the way of escape?
1: Well, because it's, it's just like if you're going to go lift weights at the gym, you actually tear the muscle. In mm. order to build a muscle up, you actually tear it, and then it heals around itself. It's almost like a, a little bit of a regeneration kind of thing. And in the spiritual realm, it's the same way. So, yes, he actually does test us in bigger ways than we can really handle. But it's, first of all, to show us our weakness. And secondly, to stretch that spiritual muscle. So it is bigger than we can handle. But if it weren't bigger, how in the world would we ever see God do amazing things? Mm. If we're doing everything in our own power, how are we going to see God do something amazing? So we have to have those things that are bigger than we are so that we can trust God for them. And then we can watch him deliver us and cooperate with that. So everything that happens is an invitation to learn something, every single thing. And so we don't have to be afraid of anything that comes because it all Thomas Aquinas says flows from the love that God has for us. If God did not love it, it would not exist so if God did not love me, I would not exist. Right. He loved Satan, even now. Mm-hmm. He created him, and that's why Satan still exists, because God loved what he created. Of course, it's, you know, messed up now. Right. But if he didn't love, then we wouldn't exist. So everything flows from that love. We don't have to be afraid of anything, because it's all a gift. It's all a pop quiz.
0: Right. All right, well, where can we find you, Sonia? Where can we find your books, podcasts, and your TV show?
1: All right, so um, the TV show is on Catholic TV. I'm on the Laudate app, my weekly show. Right now, we're doing a series on the I Am Statements of Jesus. Everything, though, is available right there on my website at BibleStudyEvangelista.com, but I'm kind of (laughs) everywhere.
0: Awesome, I love it. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. My guest My has pleasure, been Sonia Corbett. So go check her out. No power in-